Well, for those of you that might be visited here, we are, have a read through the New Testament in a year that we've been encouraging everybody to do. Uh, there's some um, little flyers out there with the scriptures for each week, reading five chapters a week. This week we were reading, or you should have been reading, or we were encouraging you to read Acts 12 through 16, and then next week I'll be 17 through 21. And there's no way in one message I can share much of what takes place in this exciting book. We need to remember that this is really the launch of the church. And when God, when Jesus gave the great commission to the disciples and all the disciples that would come after them to go forth and and make disciples in all nations, that's us, that's who he's talking about. And the thing that I've really been encouraging you to focus on, one of the things anyway, one of the things that I've been really paying attention to is just how involved the Holy Spirit is in everything. Everything. And another thing I like to just encourage us to remember is, you know, we can kind of get the idea sometimes that when we're reading about these apostles or reading the letters that they've written, we're reading about the disciples, we kind of make them these super Christians. And the only thing that really makes them super Christians is the sense of calling on their life and their obedience to the Lord and the light that allowed the Holy Spirit to work through them. They're just normal people. Normal people. Like us. The title of the message this morning is A Rough Road Ahead. Sometimes, I think through a misunderstanding, maybe even bad teaching, We think that becoming a Christian is the cure-all, the end-all of all problems, all trials, all tribulations. That isn't true. I think most of us in here could attest to that reality. Becoming a Christian is the most amazing and the most important and the most life-changing thing you could ever, ever do. But as far as wiping away all trials, all tests, all tribulations, not a chance. As a matter of fact, we believe the Word of God is true. And God promises us in his word that we will have suffering, that we will have persecutions. We are going to face roadblocks in our life, in our walk. And especially true as we step out in faith to fulfill the Great Commission. When we start to surrender in greater and greater ways to the Holy Spirit's leading and prompting. If you don't see anything else in the, in the book of Acts, you'll see... The more they stepped out, the more bold they were, the more persecution there was. And the more people got saved. The more people got saved, the more miracles there were. It was amazing to see. So it's a rough road, but it's a productive road. It's really, for us, the continuing story of the work that Jesus started when he was on the earth. You know, his ministry really was approximately three years. And when he left... A number of things he told the disciples, but one of them was, you know, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And really, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to continue the work I'm doing. But he's going to dwell in you, live in you. The power of God lives and dwells in us. In the day of Pentecost, the power of God fell. There was a reason Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem for the power to come. And then, he says, go into all Judea, Samaria, 
the uttermost parts of the earth. When we start advancing the kingdom, it doesn't take long. If you remember last week, those of you that were here, I mentioned there's a cycle we see through the book of Acts. The cycle we see repeated over and over and over again is they, they go and they preach the word. Whether it's Paul or Barnabas or one of the other disciples, they go and they preach the word. And when they preach the word, people receive the word and people get saved. There's signs and wonders confirming, affirming the word of God. They're laying hands on people and they're getting healed. Cripples are walking. They're doing all kinds of amazing things, proving the word of God to be true. And then, as weird as it would seem, the more miracles there is, the more people get saved, the persecution is ramped up. And it's interesting when you look through the book of Acts, more often than not, where does the persecution come from? The religious people, the Jews, religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, Pharisees. The persecution's ramped up. And then what happens? God intervenes. God is going to intervene. He is going to to make sure his kingdom is advancing. And what gets in the way is going to be dealt with. However, as you read the book of Acts, that doesn't always mean things turn out the way we would want them to turn out for the people that he's using to move the kingdom forward. One of the things in the book of Acts, and I'm jumping way ahead of myself here, but one of the things in the book of Acts that I, every time I read it, I ponder it. James, the brother of John, is arrested by Herod, and it says he's killed by the sword. That part I understand. He was martyred for the cause of Christ. And right away after that, it says, Herod sees that all the people liked it that he killed this guy, so he goes out and arrests Peter. And he puts him in prison. And he is miraculously released from prison. God intervenes. And then it says, the people were praying. And I ponder over and over, I'm pretty well sure that those people were praying when James was imprisoned. And he gets killed. Peter is imprisoned, and the people are praying, and he gets miraculously released. Things like that cause me to ponder and ask all kinds of questions to God, and he usually doesn't answer them. And that's what I have to be okay with. I don't understand what he's doing. We do know throughout history, Christ has built his church on the blood of the martyrs. Not everything turns out the way we want it to turn out, but we can't question whether God has a plan, because he does. We have an enemy, and we need to remember that. We have an enemy, the prince of this earth, Satan, who wants to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. He may have lost you and me to his kingdom when we accepted Christ and got born again, but he's going to do everything he can to torment us. He's going to do everything he can to make our witness of no worth whatsoever. He's going to put every roadblock he can in our way because he knows most of us will quit and give up. We have an enemy. He is the darkness. It despises the light. He represents all that's evil. He represents sin. Represents sin. And, and sin resists the advancement of the kingdom. Sin resists righteousness 
It hates righteousness. The early disciples, as they're going forth, they're they're facing a religious system that has outlasted God's intention for it. Yet, people are receptive. When we look at what's happening, people are receptive. And it's amazing to think of this, that in all that's going on, all the persecution that's taking place, the power and, and prestige and the hold that this religious system had over the people, there's people receptive. Why? I think there's at least two or three reasons, maybe more. One, they see the futility of the old ways. The old ways didn't work the way they wanted them to work. The old ways were really just nothing more than pointing out you're sinners and you're never going to be able to keep all the rules. Religion. Rules. So they were seeing the futility of it. Some people were ignorant. They just didn't know. They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't understand this whole movement, the Messiah coming, Jesus, the cross, the death, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. They didn't understand and they didn't know. They hadn't been told. Depending on their location, there was no way they would have been told. But now they're hearing, and they're hearing something new, something different, something that gives hope, something that gives life. So the ignorant, the ones that didn't know, are being receptive. And many, especially the Gentiles, many had felt excluded from God's people. Think about that for a second. God's chosen people were the Jews. Golly, as a Gentile, what am I supposed to do? I guess I could become a proselyte Jew and change to the Jewish and accept the Jewish religion. That was their only way of becoming part of God's chosen people. And all of a sudden, the door is being opened. The Holy Spirit was at work. Nothing happened without the Holy Spirit working. One, he was preparing hearts. You know, when we look at those things, we look what's going on in in people, what makes them receptive? We need to understand nothing's changed. This is all still happening today. It looks different. It's wearing different clothing, so to speak, but it's all going on today. And the Holy Spirit is still working today. We can't forget that. He is still changing hearts. He's preparing hearts. There's, there's fertile ground for the gospel being prepared continually by the Holy Spirit. He is continually, the Holy Spirit is continually desiring and attempting to lead us as disciples. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see, and I think in the, the five chapters I read this week, there was at least 12 clear references directly to the Holy Spirit or speaking or moving. The Holy Spirit moving. The Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit prompted. The Holy Spirit called. The Holy Spirit sent. And guess what? He still wants to do that today. That's his job. Part of his job. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been neglected in most traditional church for a couple hundred years. Almost. The Holy Spirit is leading the disciples. He's empowering the message. You ever notice if you, if you really do step out in faith and you share the gospel message with a number of people, you're going to find out sometimes it's like the same message does nothing. You give the message, falls on a prepared heart, 
and God empowers that message. Sometimes the words we speak, didn't the Bible tell us, don't worry about what to say, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak. The Holy Spirit will empower your message. You just got to continue to speak. But what about boldness? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit will give you that too. He was continually imparting boldness to his disciples. Remember, when this thing started, these were fishermen, uneducated, untrained, a lot of them. And all of a sudden, I think of Peter standing in the, in, the, in the Sanhedrin, surrounded by all the religious leaders from the high priest on down, totally in an intimidating environment. And this uneducated fisherman opens his mouth and, and silences the whole crew with the words he spoke in boldness. And I believe it's for today, just like it was then. He will confirm his words with signs and wonders and miracles. The church has lost that faith to believe for signs, wonders, and miracles. It's kind of crazy because there is no bigger miracle than someone who's spiritually dead being born again by the Spirit of God, going from eternity in hell to eternity in the presence of God. What a miracle. Is that more or less of a miracle than somebody getting healed physically? Of course, if he can take us from eternal damnation to eternal uh, worshiping him in heaven and in his presence, it's not that big a deal for him to do emotional healing, physical healing, and the Holy Spirit's at work. Last week, we kind of reintroduced Paul. He'd been talked about. He'd gotten saved. But last week, he... He had been gone for quite a number of years. Ultimately, he was in Tarsus. And we talked a little bit about a church in Antioch. And Antioch's a church I'd encourage you to study and read about whenever you can see it in the scriptures. Antioch is the type of church that we would want to be, an Antioch church, a New Testament church. And Paul is, is at Tarsus. He's kind of been removed from the scene, so to speak, and a Barnabas is at the church of Antioch. He goes up to Antioch to see what's going on. The story about Antioch had, had traveled down to Jerusalem. They send him up there to see, and he says, wow, this is amazing. I need help. I'm going to go get Paul. And I'll probably call him Paul, and I'll probably call him Saul, and I'll flip-flop back and forth. Uh, it's the same guy. So he went and got him, and he came, and, and he taught there. And it's interesting, just as a little sidebar, you will read in the, in the story this week, they were first called Christians in Antioch. First time, followers of Jesus Christ were called Christians at Antioch. And while they're there, a prophetic word comes forth about some famine that's going to strike the land. So the church in Antioch takes a collection of money. All, they all gave as they could in proportion to their ability, and they had uh, Saul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas, take it down to Jerusalem. And they did. They took it to Jerusalem. They get to Jerusalem, and persecution is still continuing. That's where you'll read about James being killed and Peter being miraculously released after he's arrested. But it says this also, the word of God continued to grow. The church continued to grow and multiply. And in that section of Scripture, I just want to make quick mention of this because later on it becomes kind of a bigger deal. Paul and Barnabas and a young guy named John Mark are, are go back to Antioch. 
John Mark is mentioned here, and later on it becomes a, 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 a topic of division between Paul and Barnabas. And as they get back to Antioch, Paul's real calling is about to be launched. And that's what we're going to focus on. And as we do this, I, I want you to just pay attention to the different things that transpired for Paul's calling to really come forth. Because each one of us have a calling. Each one of us have a destiny in the Lord. They're all going to be a little bit different. Sometimes based on giftings, sometimes based on experiences, sometimes based on training, sometimes based on none of those things. But we have a calling. And we're going to see Paul's calling begin to come forth. I'm going to read in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16. This is when Saul had been knocked down on the road to Damascus and blinded, and he got taken into Damascus, and Ananias is sent to go and, and speak to Paul, and, and he's a little bit nervous about it. He's talking to the Lord. Are you kidding? You know who this guy is? He's been killing people like me. And here's what it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he suffers, must suffer for my name's sake. What a calling. Called to the Gentiles, and we're going to let him know how much he's going to suffer. And if we don't think about it, we might miss the fact that this is one weird calling from the Lord for Paul. Paul was a Jew's Jew. He was educated in the Judaism of the Jewish faith, as well as anybody could be. He had one of the best teachers, Gamaliel, of the day. He was a Jew's Jew. He knew all there was to know about the Jewish religion. It would seem logical he'd be the perfect guy to go to the Jewish people. And besides that, he had a passion for his people. In Romans 9, 3, listen to this. This is Paul. He says, I, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. That is an amazing, amazing statement. His passion for his people was so strong. It was like he was saying, I'd trade my salvation for those. And he knew everything about the Jewish faith would seem like a logical choice, but Paul instead is called to the Gentiles, to the pagans. And then the second part of that was we're going to tell him how much he's going to suffer. I want to read, it's a little bit longer verse, but in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30, Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthian church, and he's, he's really saying, you know, I'm gonna, I don't like to boast, but because you are impressed by people who do, I'm going to bow ahead and boast. As a matter of fact, I'm going to act a little insane here. It's going to be totally out of my character, but I'm going to boast and, and, and let you know what I've went through. And he says, referring to these other people that are, they're impressed by, he says, are they servants of Christ? I speak as if I'm insane. I'm more so than them. In far more labors, 
in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a day and a night I spent in the deep, I have been on frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship. I've had many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is also the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin with my, without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. How many of us want to be like a Paul? This was part of his calling. You're going to go to the Gentiles, and I'm going to let you know a little bit about how much suffering you're going to do for me. And when we look at Paul, other than Christ in the New Testament, there seems to be absolutely no one of greater influence to the Christian faith than that man. And sometimes, oftentimes, somebody makes a little fun of us or laughs at us or calls us a goody-goody two-shoes or a Jesus freak, and we get offended and want to put our tail between our legs and run and hide. What an embarrassment it is when we are called just like Paul was called. When we have the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us, and we have the same command, the same commissioning to go into all the world, starting in southwest Minnesota, Ballotton, Marshall, Tracy, Walnut Grove, wherever we're from, and to go wherever the Lord would lead us to take the word and prepare to suffer persecution. There's a reason those disciples said, I count it great joy to suffer like my Savior. And this is what Paul is trying to tell the Corinthian church, and and I believe he's telling us very clearly. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 13. It won't be on the screen, I don't believe. But this is the moment of Paul's calling, being really reaffirmed. Starting in verse 1. Now there were in Antioch, in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. So Paul's back in Antioch, and is telling us there's prophets and teachers there. And then it says, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, while they were praying and seeking God, the Holy Spirit said, Send up, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them to commission them, they sent them out. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. I'm going to put a map up there. Go ahead and put that first map up. Hopefully you'll be able to see it better than last week. This is I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but I want you to just see, because when you're reading the book of Acts, it can get a little confusing because they don't differentiate between regions and cities. But I put this map up there, and hopefully you can see. 
For example, we have the region of Phrygia, Pamphylia, Lycia. These are regions, Lyconia. And then we see in the bolder print, the cities. And in in the scriptures, when they're giving directions where Paul's traveling, it can be confusing to you. And I would encourage you, go ahead and Google a map or look in the back of your Bible if you have one. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I'm going to make reference very briefly to a number of these cities. But as you look at this map, Paul starts in Antioch. He goes down to Seleucia. Then they sail over to Cyprus, to Salamis. They spend some time there. Then they go to Pamphus. And then they get on a boat again, and they go over to the, the city of Perga in Pamphylia. And then they go up to Antioch. Now, notice there's two Antiochs. There's actually three or four Antiochs. This would be Pisidian Antioch in your, in your Bibles. And Pisidian because it's in the region of Pisidia. Okay? And then from there, after things go great, things go bad, they go to Iconium. Then down to Lystra, or Lystra, and then to Derby, and then they come all the way back and ultimately end up back in Antioch. And just a few things that I want to point out in some of the cities that I think are significant. When they went on this trip, it's like a rerun movie, according to that cycle that I talked about earlier. They go, they start preaching the word. There's victories. People are getting saved. Signs and wonders and miracles occur. It's crazy. People believe. Churches are planted. Persecution and suffering follow, and Paul moves on. At Perga, at Perga, when they landed over there in the, the region of Lycia and Pamphylia, in Perga, Paul and Barnabas were abandoned by John Mark. And I just mention that again in passing because it's a significant thing. Paul and Barnabas were a team. When no one would accept Paul because they all remembered him as Saul, Barnabas is the one that came and introduced him, broke the ice. He's the one that went and got him and brought him over to Antioch. He's the one that's traveling with him on this trip along with John Mark. But for whatever reason, when they get to Perga, it's like John Mark says, you know, I think I've had enough. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And later on, that becomes a real point of contention and causes Paul and Barnabas to actually separate for a time. Then they move on up to Pisidian Antioch. And here, Paul, when they get there, because he was a Jew, he got invited to speak at the synagogue at the Sabbath. And it's kind of interesting when you read it in your Bibles. It's like the, the man, the head guy in the synagogue says, if you brothers have any words of encouragement you'd like to share with us, now would be the time dangerous move with Paul. Paul gets up and he gives a message. And the message he gives basically is, again, a brief history of Jesus going way back into Old Testament, bringing forth everything he's doing, pointing to Christ. And it ends with a warning in Acts chapter 13, verses 39 and 41. He finishes his his sermon or message with this. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Ouch. The Jews. Therefore, take heed, now a warning, that the things spoken of by the prophets may not come upon you. And then he prophesies from the Old Testament, Behold you, scoffers, and marvel and perish. 
For I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. He leads them to Jesus, and then he uses the Old Testament, which they would honor and revere, to cause this warning. Whatever you do, don't resist Christ's call. And when he gives that message, it's interesting. They loved him. They loved him. The people are begging him to keep talking. The people are begging him, come back next week. We want to hear more. And, and people are following him as he's walking away, wanting to hear more. Boy, they loved it. Well, next week came, and he came back. Well, there was this humongous crowd. Actually, the Bible says everybody in the city was there. That would include all of the Gentiles as well as the Jews. And the religious leaders look around and go, we got a problem. Look at this crowd. On a normal Sunday, hardly anybody's there. We bring in a guest speaker and they pack the place out. And they decide we can't let this happen. And in verse 46 to 48 of Acts 13, it says, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. And then it says this, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, speaking to the Jews. But since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us, and this is a prophecy in Isaiah, I have placed you, the Jews, his people, as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Paul's calling was coming to, to fruition. He was going to be going to the Gentiles. Of course, they run him out, and now he goes down to Iconia. Go ahead and go back to that map, if you would, for a second. Keep you traveling with him. He goes down to Iconium. And first they received him, then they didn't. And then he leaves. And he says, we're going to shake the dust off of our feet. Does that ring a bell to anybody? When Jesus had sent out the 70 to do ministry, he told them, if you go to any city and they don't receive you and they, they're not hospitable to you, Shake the dust off your feet and leave that city. And here, this is exactly what Paul does. And it's a Jewish tradition. If you had to travel through a Gentile city and you were a Jew, you would knock the dust off your sandals as you left the city, basically symbolically saying, we don't want to take anything with us from this city. So Paul leaves Iconium. And he travels down to Lystra. And miracles are taking place. Things are going great. And then a bunch of Jewish people from Antioch, Pisidian, and Iconium come down and cause a stir. And this time, they stone Paul. They stone him. It says they stone him, and then they drag him from the city because they thought he was dead. Maybe he was. 
And then it says his disciples, the disciples, meaning just believers, were standing around him. They thought he was dead, but he gets up. My imagination, he wipes the dust off. Probably moves a little blood from his face. You know what he does? Walks right back into the city. He was going to leave, but he was going to leave on his own terms. And the next day, he left and went down to Derby. And I'm sharing these highlights just to give us an idea of what it took for our forefathers to establish the Christian church, to fulfill the mission that they had and that we have, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, the same Holy Spirit they had, we have, the same authority and the same power to go. <clears throat> and if you remember last week, I talked about being available and being obedient. Paul is such an example. He made himself to be available. I mean, I can only imagine with his education, his training, his love for his Jewish people, how hard it was for him to turn his back and say, I'm going to the Gentiles. You've rejected him. But he was going to move on. Hard-hearted people, knock the dust off your feet, move on. You know, sometimes we're, it's not our job to eliminate anybody from becoming a potential Christian. But sometimes we can, we can spend so much time on somebody's heart who is so hardened when there's people over here that we need to go to. Sometimes we need to just say, okay, Lord, they're in your hands, and let's move on. Let's go forward. Keep advancing the kingdom. We see Paul's apostolic heart revealed. He says, you know what? As bad as it's been, the beating, I just got stoned. We're going to go back through those same cities and see how the church is doing. And eventually he works his way all the way back to Antioch in Syria where he was sent from. And a couple of interesting things take place. They get back there and they share all the things that had happened, the miracles, the signs and wonders. We don't hear him talking about the beatings. We don't hear him talking about getting stoned. He just talks about all the things that God did on this trip. And the people are really, really, really excited for a very short time. And then come some Jews, some religious people. Now, I hope you're making some application in your head because I'm not doing it every step of the way. But, you know, remember when you get saved or you got saved? It didn't take very long for someone to come to you and say, what are you doing? You're already a Christian. You've been going to church for years, and you were baptized and confirmed. What are you doing? And you're going to go out to victory? I've heard that's a cult. Still, after 30 years, we're a cult. Praise God. Keep doing something right. How many of you hear stuff like that? We hear those things. Oh, come on, you're too good for us now? You can't come out and get hammered? What's the deal? You're no fun anymore. We hear all those things. And who do we hear it from? Well-intentioned people sometimes. Family? Yeah. Religious people? For sure. We walked away from the churches we were going to, and we went to a different church. doesn't matter that we felt the Lord leading us somewhere. What they think is, oh, you're too good for us now. Who do you think you are? It didn't take long, and this is exactly what happens here. 
They come back to Antioch, and Paul's telling them all the amazing things that happened, how the Greek, the Gentiles are getting saved. Those pagan Gentiles are getting saved. Mike Nelson, the guy who crawled around at the street dances because he was so drunk, he couldn't walk. His mom here? Good. <laughs> he got saved. I know you guys. You got saved. Are you kidding? What are you thinking? It happened here. Here comes some Jewish guys from Judea. What does that mean from Judea? Well, guess where Jerusalem was at in Judea. So some of these religious guys from Jerusalem come up and tell them, uh, sorry, guys, you want them to be saved? They've got to get circumcised. There went my salvation right out the window. Religion starting to add works to grace, to faith. Immediately. It's got to be more difficult than that. You just can't believe by faith through grace, can you, to get saved? You got to do, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do. Garbage. You get saved by grace through faith, and you want to do, you want to do, you want to do because of a loving Heavenly Father. Well, of course, they have a little bit of a, a discussion, it says. Paul and Barnabas debated them aggressively. And the church decided, we better send a few guys down to Jerusalem where the home church really was. And check this out. So they sent them down to Jerusalem. And there's much debate. Peter again, Peter intervenes, actually. Paul shares everything that's been going on. And guess what? A Pharisee stands up. They've got to be circumcised and they've got to follow the laws of Moses. That isn't going to happen. Peter steps up and says, wait a minute. They received the Holy Spirit just like we did. God is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter what you were as a sinner. It doesn't matter how bad you were. It doesn't matter what you've done. You don't have to do anything other than acknowledge that you needed a Savior and that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and lived a sinless life and died on that cross in my place. And I accept that gift of salvation and I surrender my life to you. That's it. Doesn't mean it's easy afterwards. But that's it. And James, who most people would tell you was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, probably a brother of Jesus, James says, you know what? They received forgiveness by faith just like we did. We should not put any more burden on them. But that spirit of religion will try to creep on you, to creep on a new believer every time. There's that thing in us, that, that old nature, that, that somehow or other we got to do, do, do. You can't do enough. You can't do enough for salvation. You can't get good enough for God. Thank goodness. That's why it doesn't matter what you were, what the difference is, is what you are now in Christ as a new creation. Old things passed away. All things become new. And in there, there is a process. But we now do not have to live in that bondage anymore. He goes back, tells the church at Antioch, they're excited. The Gentiles are really excited. They don't all have to get circumcised. <laughs> Praise God, right? <laughs> 
And he stays there for a long time, and they're doing some teaching. Things are going great. And then Paul says, you know what? We need to go back and check on the churches. His apostolic heart, his father's heart. We've got to go back and check on the churches. And it's like you want to go, Paul, don't you remember? They go. And he goes back and checks on the churches. They, they set in elders in every, every church. They pray and encourage and exhort them. They tell them things like, oh, there's going to be a lot of tribulation, but hang on to your faith. No matter what, hang on to your faith. And then there's a couple of last things I want to point out about the Holy Spirit. And I don't, you're probably having a wonderful time trying to track me back there, but I would like you to pull up uh, Acts chapter 16. I think it's slide number 13. Verses 6 and 7. And after I tell you to do that, I want you to go back to the map of his second missionary journey for a moment. Perfect. You're amazing. He goes back. Tarsus, his hometown. Then he hits all the towns where he'd been preaching, establishing churches, getting beaten, getting persecuted. Goes back to Antioch. And now he's got this overwhelming burden to continue ministering in what we would call, what was called Asia. That's where his heart was. That's where he wanted to go. And now notice where Troas is. And all this over here now is Europe, Macedonia. But Paul... He has no heart for Europe. He wants to go into Asia. Okay, now you can go back to slide 13. Acts chapter 6. It says they passed through the region of Phrygia and then the Galatian region. And then it says this, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. He wanted to go up into Asia and the Holy Spirit said, nope. You're not even going to go speak the word there. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to get into Bithynia, and Bithynia was in Asia. And the Spirit of Jesus would not permit them. And they came down to Troas. What's my point? God has a plan for your life and my life. Sometimes our plan and his plan aren't the same. And some people would say, well, Pastor, how do we take the next steps? I think God wants me to do this, but I'm not sure. And I think sometimes you get frustrated with my advice. I say, well, you've prayed. You're seeking the Lord. You're not hearing a clear word. If there's open doors, go forward. I think what Paul is doing, his heart was Asia. He kept trying, but guess what? The Holy Spirit closed the doors. A lesson to be learned. God can can speak to us through closed doors as well as he can through open doors. We don't want to be kicking down closed doors. So he's closed the door to Asia, and he's sitting in Troas. And you may have heard the term Macedonian call before. Paul's in Troas, and he's probably sitting there wondering, well, here I am, God. I'm still available. I'll be obedient, but you won't let me go. And he has a vision. Go back to that map, would you please? 
He has a vision. And I'll hurry. He has a vision in Troas. And in that vision, he sees a man standing. And the man he recognizes is a Macedonian. And he sees this in, I'm going to read verse, don't bother turning the slide. <laughs> Was I too slow? In Acts 16, 9 and 10, don't, don't go there. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, come over to Macedonia and help us. He wanted to go to Asia. He's here. He has a vision in the Macedonian area. And it's come over and help us. And Paul goes immediately, the word says, he goes immediately, led by the Spirit, over and he stops in Philippi. Philippi, the Philippians, one of the churches of Revelation, a book in the Bible, Philippi, by, by God shutting the door to what he wanted to do. You know, when they said, set apart, Paul, separate, Paul, when you and I get separated and set apart, sometimes we got to set down something we really like and to be set apart from it so we can go out and do what God wants us to do. And he will close doors and he will open doors. He opened the door with a vision. The Holy Spirit revealed to him in a vision, go to Macedonia. And when he went to Macedonia, he stopped at Philippi. And Philippi was a major city in the area of Macedonia. And Macedonia was a Roman colony. And the door was being opened to the greatest empire of the age. And Paul goes into Philippi, Macedonia, the, the first convert in Europe is a result. Paul's demonstrating to us over and over and over. The Holy Spirit will lead us. The Holy Spirit will empower us. We need to just make ourselves available. Be obedient to his calling. Look for open doors. Recognize closed doors. But go with faith. Not fearing the persecution doesn't mean we be stupid. Doesn't mean we get really foolish, unless the Lord tells you to. But God has still got the same mission for his church. Go into all the world and make disciples. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the things that each one of us need to hear from your word as we read and study it. God, we're all in different places, all have different gifts, talents, and callings. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would reveal to us, speak to us. Give us your ears to hear what your Spirit is speaking in these days. God, we know that there is a world around us that needs Jesus, just like there was in the time of Paul. We know that there will be resistance, just like there was. But we know that your Spirit is going before us and working, and your purposes will be accomplished God, we thank you for the privilege we have of, of being part of your army advancing the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you would just baptize us in your love continually, that we would be able to walk forward with love, sharing truth to all that we would come in contact with. I also pray this morning, God, that you will bless the men as we recognize Father's Day. God, I pray that you would minister to hearts that are hurting. Many of us here, have fathers that are going through very difficult times. Many of us here have fathers that have passed away. I pray you would minister to those hearts in a special way. Go before us. 
May we bring glory and honor to you in the upcoming week. In Jesus' name, amen.